everyone. If you would like to support what I'm doing with Controversies in Church History and help me to expand its reach, please click on my Anchor page and click the support button to donate. Thank you for listening. Hello, uh, this is Derek Taylor, the uh, founder and proprietor of Controversies in Church History. And if you're listening, this is uh, a lecture talk on deaconesses in the early church. This is actually a um, rebroadcast of the first lecture I gave in Kansas City, Missouri, where I do these lectures uh, on site uh, for people in the young adult community in, in my hometown, but uh, forgot to record it. So I uh, re-recorded it for your, for your pleasure. And um, so let's get started and get right into it. A couple of things before I start with uh, the lecture. One, as with all of my lectures, I, I, I try to tell all my, all my uh, people that show up uh, in person that I am giving you in terms of, uh, I'm an historian by training, I am not trained in church history. My PhD is in British history. So I'm giving you a non-expert view of things, but it is my expertise in general. And... Um, the second thing is I am definitely not an expert in theology, so just FYI, anything I stay here, theologically speaking, I, I more than willingly submit my opinions to, to the uh, authority of the church. Um, and so, yeah, so with that caveat aside, let's get into, let's get into the topic at hand. A um, couple of things when we talk about, especially deaconesses in the early church, um, when I say early church, I mean from as early as we have evidence, but one thing in general, if you do enough of this, if you read enough about the early history of the early Christian church, is that, first of all, the evidence for anything before the 4th century, before the early 300s, is very sparse. There's oftentimes, uh, you'll have questions about this or that topic, controversial topics, that's why I'm doing this, this series, you won't find what you, the smoking gun that will tell you what you want to know. And uh, in particular with the, this issue of deaconesses, um, one thing to keep in mind is the meaning, meaning of words changes over time. The meaning of deacon, deacon and deaconesses will change over time. This is very crucial to understanding this, this, uh, this topic. Secondly, words can mean more than one thing and often do, especially with regards to this topic. Um, and then just in general, <clears throat> With all the things I talk about here, I always tell my tell my people that come to my class, um, history is complicated. So uh, those general top, general general caveats uh, in store. Let's talk about first of all what is the diaconate. Let me clear when I'm where I'm coming from here. I am a uh, I'm a Roman Catholic. I am a member of the the, the Catholic Church in communion with the Bishop of Rome. So I'm, I'm, my reference point is Latin uh, Western. Uh, Catholicism. So I do know that there are deacons in some Protestant denominations and in the Orthodox churches. So, but that's where we're we're coming from here. And um, so the first thing is, what is the diaconate? And um, well, first of all, it's the lowest of the three offices of holy order in modern Catholic theology, after bishops and priests. Um, secondly, uh, it is primarily a role of service attached to the bishop. Um, he will often be, you know, doing, proclaiming the gospel, stuff like this. Um, deacons can preach, um, they can recite prayers, they can assist at the altar, uh, as well as other things. Um, and they can also, uh, uh, of course, um, deal with um, 
um, things like marriage. So you have um, various things that a, a deacon can do in the modern rite. Uh, however, the functions of the diaconate have changed a lot uh, over the centuries. <clears throat> in fact, the diaconate as you know it today in the Roman Catholic Church was revived in the 1960s following the Second Vatican Council. I say revived because it was not a permanent office in the Middle Ages. In the Middle Ages, it was sort of a an intermediary stage between uh, on the way to becoming a um, a priest. And in fact, as we'll get to in a moment in the course of this lecture, there used to be in the Latin Rite uh, what are called minor orders. That is, there were lots of other offices beside uh, what we call holy orders or major orders in a modern uh, Roman Catholic setting. And um, part of the reason I um, wanted to have this talk in the first place is that the Vatican has been studying, uh, has a commission uh, that is studying the idea of ordaining female deacons. It has done this several times, actually, since the 1970s. The last commission uh, back in 2002 basically said there wasn't enough evidence to do this. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. But um, it, it's on the minds of some in Rome. Um, the Pope has already set, stressed that women can't be ordained to the priesthood, and this has been reiterated several times, but this is sort of on the agenda for a variety of reasons. So, question comes up. I make it mentioning deaconesses in the, in the, in the early church. Were there really women deacons, deaconesses? And the answer is yes, there were. Uh, how can this be? Uh, how, can this, uh, how can this have been, right? Um, the question that naturally comes up if there were deaconesses in the early church, and I mean the earliest centuries, why doesn't the church ordain women's, women as deacons now? Not women's, women as deacons now. And um, that's one big question we'll answer for you. Uh, secondly, well, before we get to that, this, is, and this was the big question, right? This is the question of why don't they do it now? Why haven't they done it? as you'll see for many, many, for basically a millennium, um, that is the crux of a debate uh, which concerns theology and history, which is currently going on uh, among academic types. And um, another question that relates to this is when and why did it stop? All those things we'll get into um, in the course of uh, this talk. And so to start with the evidence, we'll start with the diaconate in the Bible. And again, one of the things that you know, we're going to talk about here is that um, this is a problem of terminology with regards to diaconate. The term diakonia mean, can mean service uh, in Greek, and diakonos can mean servant. And there are actually several variations of this term diakonos, diakonia in the Bible, in the New Testament in Greek. And there are multiple meanings to these terms, and there is a general lack of precision, although Many times a masculine noun be used universally, like you have the word man sometimes used in English to stand for everybody, including women. That's sometimes what uh, the diakonos will actually mean. Um, you get this, for example, in um, the, uh, the uh, Acts of the Apostles, chapter 6, which we'll come back to, which is usually taken to be um, the sort of founding text of the diaconate. Uh, it refers to the, the quote, the diaconia of the word, the service of the word. The apostles are, you know, being burdened with doing charitable works, and they set apart people to do that so they can focus on the diaconia of the word, the service of the word. So that's one thing there. 
Um, you also have, for example, um, in First Timothy um, three eight through thirteen, um, you know Paul or Pauline letter, whoever you think the author of the of the letter is, using that word service uh, in the quotation I have in English is in the same way the women, and so it's being used in reference and sort of sort of interchangeably among men and women in the early period. So it has that uh, usage. Um, and then finally, you have uh, one instance, one instance in the Bible, in Paul's letter to the Romans, uh, at the end of Romans uh, chapter 16, verse 2, he refers to Phoebe, a diakonos of the church. Uh, and diakonos, does this mean diadeacon in the same way that men were? Does it mean just a servant? It's not really clear from the context. Um, and in fact, uh, as you'll kind of see, <laughs> as you'll kind of see, that um, the term, um, you know, diakonos when it refers to deacons, or it's unclear when it refers to the order, an order of deacons, or more generally to a minister or servant. So again, it's got a couple of at least two different ways, more than that, that you can use that term in the Bible. There was also a term, um, uh, I think I'm pronouncing this correctly, kerai, kerai. C-H-E-R-A-I in transliteration from Greek, uh, which means widows, which is referred to in 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy is where you usually get laid down what we think of as being holy orders today, bishops, presbyters, deacons. But they also mention widows. Widows is an order in its own right. It's an office in its own right in the early church. Widows were actually fairly important um, in the church, both in biblical times and in uh, early church, generally speaking. And... Um, you know, presbyter just could mean elder uh, or priest. And again, deacon, deacon or deaconess could just mean minister who serves. So you have all these sort of terms um, uh, coming into you know, coming into um, the Bible. I should mention the role of widows was probably more prominent uh, in the early church early on uh, to get to a little later period than were deaconesses. In fact, it seems perhaps that deaconesses took over some of those functions that were done by widows. And again, again, the, the context for all these things is just not clear from the Bible. Sometimes you'll get people trying to argue, usually apologists, but sometimes um, scholars, that you know there's one correct meaning of the words in the Bible. And I, I have to say the evidence is equivocal. I don't think you can get a slam dunk either way out of uh, the question we want to answer for this, uh, for this topic. So if it's unclear whether it definitely appear applies to women in the Bible. When does it begin to apply to women in the Bible? Well, the first evidence we have of that word specifically being applied to women comes from the 3rd century AD um, in the eastern part of uh, the Roman Empire. I need to step back and explain this for a second if you don't know the history of the Roman Empire. Um, the eastern part of the Roman Empire in the 4th century will be sort of administratively divided from the west. And the eastern part of the empire will become, over time, more Greek-speaking. The western part will become more Latin-speaking. And one of the things we're going to see in here in a moment is that much of the evidence for a female diaconate, for deaconesses, again, I don't know what term to use, Several, they're all basically interchangeable for the purpose of this lecture. It's mostly from the east, as we'll see. Um, but it first appears in the East in the 240s. There doesn't appear to be much evidence for uh, deaconesses 
uh, in the West until after 500 AD. So most of the evidence for that, those terms being applied specifically to an office or an order for women occurs after 500 or so. Um, and the last thing in this timeline is that it mostly disappears um, in both the Eastern churches in the Orthodox world and in the um, Latin Western church by the 12th century at the latest, probably a little earlier in the West, maybe by the 10th century, maybe by the 11th century in the East. We have, starting in the 12th and, uh, and 13th centuries, um, uh, church um, documents which refer to it in the past tense. That's how we know it sort of goes out of uh, existence then. So that's the timeline of this. Uh, early on, I mean, the earliest Christian, uh, non-Christian sources we have, like the earliest source we have for referring to women deacons, um, are things like uh, Pliny, uh, Pliny the letter of Pliny the Younger to Trajan. This is an early 2nd century document, which he, uh, Pliny was the governor of Bithynia, and he's writing back to the Roman Emperor Trajan, and he mentions, uh, he's putting, he's interrogating Christians and uh, put some of them to the torture, and mentions some of them being deaconesses. There are also non-ecclesiastical documents, as I call them, that is, allusions or references in literary texts, inscriptions on you know, gravestones and stuff like this, mostly consisting of letters from popes, bishops, and patriarchs and the like. There are ecclesiastical uh, documents, some of which are used in part of uh, certain areas, especially, the, again, of the East, the so-called Didascalia Apostolorum, about 240 or so, um, the uh, Apostolic Constitutions, dating to about 380. These are sort of non-official documents that don't get into, you know, official canons or whatever on various churches. And then uh, more official documents, especially in the Byzantine East, uh, ritual manuals for liturgy in the Byzantine East, but also acts of uh, councils. To give you an example, we're talking about... Um, Canon 19 of the First Council of Nicaea explicitly refers to deaconesses as uh, deaconesses, but refers to them as laity and not clergy, though later Byzantine liturgical texts will rank them among the clergy. Uh, in the West, the Council of Orange forbade women to be ordained deaconesses uh, in 411, though the title appears later, as mentioned before. Uh, there's another work from the 4th century called the Testamentum Dominum Nostri Jesu Christi, the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ, the 4th century work on church order, which mentions both deaconesses and pres presbyterists, pre priestesses, presbyterists, uh, doesn't really explain the, uh, the titles. Um, the Didascalia Apostolorum says that deaconesses are, quote, for the service of women, unquote, and says nothing of their ordination. That's the earliest one, 240. The Apostolic Constitutions uh, affirm that women can't teach in the church, citing St. Paul's injunction to that effect. Um, and there's a prayer over the deaconess um, when she's instituted, uh, which does not use the uh, word for ordination, which the word I'm going to butcher here is kairotonen, 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 I think. Um, but the prayer over the male deacon does use this term. So the first time it appears, it has this clear distinction. And then again, neither one of those collections is considered to be canonical. Later on, you begin to have uh, several uh, eucologia. These are Byzantine liturgical books from the 8th century in Italy uh, and the 11th century uh, in Constantinople. And then um, a, um, uh, one from St. Catherine's uh, Monastery in Sinai. 
So basically three major Byzantine liturgical books, then several later manuscripts will mention deaconesses after they had disappeared. So that's the evidence for this. And one thing to note about this, again, in terms of the evidence, um, is that deaconesses, um, the, the office of deaconess apparently was never universal. It was apparently only um, present in some regions of the church, unlike deacons, which were pretty much, um, pretty much everywhere. Uh, and as you're going to see, the evidence is much stronger for it being prevalent in the eastern parts of the Roman Empire and later the church than in the west. Um, and again, the evidence for women as deacons is very, very sketchy before the third century. So what did deaconesses do? Um, a couple of things. Um, one, if you know anything about baptism in the early church, uh, it's a lot different uh, than it is today. The big difference is that when you when you're baptized as an adult convert in the early church, you when you're baptized, you didn't just get dunked in water. You went into the pool, and you went into the waiting pool completely nude. That's right. You stripped of all your clothes and and were baptized in the nude. Why do I mention this? Because it seems the primary purpose of deaconesses or female deacons was to assist at baptism in the early church and. This makes sense, of course, because usually it would be male priests or usually bishops overseeing baptisms and naturally not wanting, <laughs> for obvious reasons, they would want to have a woman there standing by the woman who's being, if it's adult female being baptized and she's completely nude, which apparently is one of the big things they did. However, they also performed charitable, work, charitable works. Um, they would um, visit the sick, teach women neophytes, stuff like this. They could... Um, um, they did have, um, they did have in some places liturgical duties, mainly in the Eastern churches. I don't I think I found any evidence of it in the Western churches, but they, um, chanted in the liturgies at Constantinople and did other things like this. Uh, in, uh, the Church of Jerusalem until the 10th century, there was an office called the Miroforoi, I'm butchering that word. It means mirror bearers. And uh, it comes from uh, the gospel um, and the mirror-bearing women. And what they would do in the Church of Jerusalem is they would take the take the, the, the whatever the sacred oils up to the the altar, and they would actually incense the altars themselves. So for the most part, you have um, um, you have um, them doing various things in the liturgy. They are never as well. We'll come back to this in a moment. But, uh, uh, but um, they, they do sort of ancillary things, if you like, at the liturgy. One of the things to note about this is that, as you've heard from these descriptions I've already given you, is that women primarily, primarily ministered to women, and only to women. I don't see, I didn't read a lot of any evidence they actually, you know, they were dealing with men. And this is largely, in many ways, for cultural reasons. Uh, the reason why, probably why you had... Um, offices for women in the Eastern churches, Byzantine, Coptic, Armenian, Syriac, is that's because these churches, and many of them till this day, uh, segregate women to a large degree from men. If you go to a church in the Middle East today, you will the pews will be separated, women on one side, men on the other. And so there's a lot of emphasis on this. Um, uh, and that's probably one of the reasons why it's more prominent there than in the West. So, Come to a big question. Uh, were deaconesses ordained? Now, um, there are a couple of terms you need to know, disputed terms. 
There's one I kind of butchered already, uh, carotonia, which is the Greek term, and then ordinatio in Latin. And again, um, the term, you know, you're, you know, according to the um, Vatican Commission of 2002, there seems to have been um, a, a, a sense from the third century onward that if you had the imposition of hands in a rite, then it was, it was an ordination. If it, not, it was not... Uh, then it was um, it was only an institution, a uh, institutio in Latin, and so by the third century, the imposition of hands constituted the sort of distinctive sign of a rite of ordination uh, in the minds of that, at least that, that commission. And it was eventually, by the way, extended to what we call minor orders. And again, if you don't know what minor orders are, they were abolished. I'll come back to this in the, the uh, Latin Church in the 1970s. We're talking things like lectors. Um, um, acolytes, various different types of, you know, um, uh, offices that were basically abolished. But, uh, but this was actually, um, um, the right, the laying on of hands was, um, for both what we think of modern terms as, as major and minor orders, they didn't necessarily make that distinction back then. As I mentioned before, um, uh, Again, it's it most clearly in the Byzantine church that you have this coming um, prominent. I should also mention, by the way, that when we when we get uh, the evidence of the term, you know, episcopa, presbytera, diacona, the, the feminine term for di for deacon in a lot of texts, uh, sometimes you're having the wives of priests, of deacons, of even bishops referred to as, in, in feminine nouns, episcopa is a bishop's wife, presbytera is a priest's wife, and so on and so forth. So it's not really clear in some of these inscriptions what they're referring to. And so you have this distinction between institution or blessing and ordination, which, again, a lot of ancient sources don't seem to make that distinction. It's a modern distinction we make in retrospect. <clears throat> uh, however, um, in, the, um, in the, um, the Byzantine church, clearly deaconesses had their hands laid on them. They were ordained. Uh, and they were sometime, uh, sometimes grouped together with deacons in lists of ranks of, of offices. Uh, again, the sources are not always clear, but it happened. You can actually see this in prayers for ordination. This is actually, I'll read this. This is from uh, the Apostolic Constitution. Uh, and it goes like this. Uh, this, is the, this is the actual ordination prayer for a deaconess. Uh, Eternal God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, creator of man and woman, who filled Miriam, Deborah, Anne, and Holda with your spirit, who did not deem it unworthy for your son, the only begotten, to be born of a woman, who in the tent of witness and in the temple to institute women as guardians of your sacred doors, look now upon your servant before you, propose for the diaconate. Grant her the Holy Spirit and purify her of all defilement of flesh and spirit, so that she may acquit herself worthily of the office which has been entrusted to her, for your glory and to the praise of your Christ, for whom be glory and adoration to you in the Holy Spirit, or without, and amen. That's from the, uh, um, uh, I think it's the diaconia of the apostles I have in my, my notes here. Uh, you also have evidence, by the way, from the uh, Council of Chalcedon, uh, Canon 15 of that Council in 451, um, seems to confirm that, again, these deaconesses were ordained by the imposition of hands, and their ministry in that text is called liturgia. That's where we get the term liturgy from. 
And in fact, according to this canon, after ordination, they were not allowed to marry. So that you know, tends to be a mark of ordination as well. Uh, and in some other Byzantine sources, they are clearly um, clearly accorded the same rank as male deacons and given a stole, given the same sort of um, outfit as uh, deacons. And so what we can say with some confidence is uh, you have, in the Byzantine world, um, in certain areas, mostly, by the way, the, the Church of Constantinople, um, similar ordination rites to deacons, similar prayers, but with slightly different uh, slightly different gestures, slightly different prayers to a certain degree, um, as you're going to see, because uh, women were ordained at the altar, but for the most part, they did not serve at it. That is to say, they um, they may, you know, help incense the altar, they may do this, they that, but they never, they, they as far as we can tell, never, um, they never perform any sacramental functions. They never distribute the Eucharist. They never, um, they don't have anything to do with the sacraments, anything like this. And again, you know, no, no distributing the communion, no distributing the chalice, no officiating at baptisms, no confessions, anything like that. And I should mention, by the way, in the connection with this, um, you know, Byzantine emperors were in fact allowed to preside at the altar during the uh, Byzantine liturgies. Again, they didn't actually perform any sacramental functions either, but they had, uh, you know, a place at the altar, which was not this, which was kind of considered to be, you know, part of the church, but not, not part of the priesthood, is my point. And uh, one last thing is that I basically um, this equation of deaconess with the diaconate seemingly never occurred in the West uh, or even very far outside of the Byzantine church, as far as I can ascertain. Uh, according to um, two authors um, uh, that I, I came upon, this is a quote from their book, quote, once a sense of clerical status had developed by the early third century, it is fairly clear that ordained or clergy women did not perform the same role as their male counterparts, unquote. And so, again, the evidence for women being ordained to major orders is really, really relatively sparse and very, very inconclusive. Um, and... Um, one thing to note about especially deaconesses in Constantinople, because this is the primary place where we know about this, is that um, the office of deaconess was often occupied by wealthy widows who, because of their unmarried status and their wealth, could have influence within the church, which they did. Um, the um, the uh, early church father, St. John Chrysostom, uh, uh, had uh, one of his main supporters, a, a deaconess named Olympias, uh, who was pivotal to his ministry. So this was something that we know a bit about. And, um, you know, one thing about this is that proponents uh, in this debate will emphasize, I say proponents of ordaining female deacons today will emphasize similarities. Uh, critics will cite differences. And now here it's kind of clear, I want to clarify something here. Again, this is a modern Catholic theology. What make for... The theology of holy orders as it exists today. One, or three things, basically, three criteria. Um, whoops. Um, the first is apostolic origins in the Bible or in apostolic tradition. Two is universality, and this is where the diaconate, the male diaconate, has the advantage. Deep male deacons were pretty much prevalent everywhere. And three, authoritative uh, post-apostolic evidence. Things like the Council of Nicaea, Council of Trent, you know, church councils, and so on and so forth. Um, those sorts of things. 
Uh, and again, uh, I can't stress enough that, you know, trying to assess whether women were really ordained is very difficult before a certain period outside of Constantinople. Um, this is the opinion of the, the Vatican Commission in 2002. Again, it's also the opinion uh, in terms of the sparsity of the sources of, again, the same source I'll quote, um, um, that was a proponent of this, says, quote, of the period before the 4th century, quote, the sources do not tell us what we would most like to know, unquote. So the idea that, you know, somehow um, the church was ordaining deaconesses early on and sort of covered it up later, y y there's, no, there's no way to know that for sure. And so... Again, it's because of the, the evidence, and I, as you can tell from my voice, I'm skeptical about that. Um, one thing I would note about this, by the way, is when you're talking about this, this argument, you know, about evidence for and against, one thing, uh, sources are too limited, but one thing we can say, I think, in a theological sense, is that not all sources are created equal in a the theological sense. Um, the acts of ecumenical councils count for more than, uh, to me, things like the Didascalia Apostolorum, the Apostolic Constitutions. Why? Because they're, you know, those councils are, <laughs> they're, they're de, de fide, they're, 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 um, their conclusions are binding all the faithful. You know, non-canonical collections don't have as, as uh, don't have as um, high a weight, I think, in determining theological status of, uh, of holy orders in this, in this, um, in this debate. Plus, the weight of the tradition generally falls on that side of not doing it. So, what happened to deaconesses then? And to make a long story short, it appears that, best of our knowledge, by the 11th century, nuns and religious orders had taken over all those functions that I mentioned earlier about, you know, handling women uh, baptisms with women, uh, being assisting at baptisms for women, stuff like that. Um, and that's why, it's seemingly one of the big reasons why the uh, office disappears. And in fact, by the way, in certain Eastern churches today, most notably the Armenian uh, the Armenian Orthodox Church, there still are deaconesses, but they almost wholly exist in uh, in in monasteries, in in uh, in nunneries, basically. Uh, and so it's usually there to assist the priest when he comes to say mass, basically. That's usually the way you'll have that. Uh, in these uh, modern Orthodox um, churches. And in fact, uh, this disappearance of um, the office of deaconess is probably not probably not a coincidence. At the same time, in the West, uh, in the 11th and 12th centuries, uh, a similar development happens with male deacons. That is to say, in the Latin church, the diaconate as a permanent office disappears. It becomes a transitional thing when you go from a uh, a minor orders to to holy orders of a priest or a bishop <clears throat> comes a temporary state. Uh, in the Eastern Orthodox churches, uh, over time, the deacon became an exclusively liturgical office in most Orthodox churches in the past few centuries. Sometimes you'll get Orthodox theologians complaining about this. They want deacons to perform more with their role as in the early church, but it has basically disappeared as a uh, uh, outside of the liturgy. And so one of the questions becomes about all this is, okay, um, the big 900-pound gorilla in the room is, because this is what will happen with critics of the church and people who want to reopen the whole notion of ordaining deaconesses, is did sexism or misogyny play any role in the disappearance of that office? 
Now, the um, the evidence for this. Well, I'll give you I'll give you some examples of uh, arguments people cite. Valerie Karras, who is a um, 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 scholar of Byzantine of the Byzantine Church. Uh, suggests uh, as much in some of her articles on this. She cites a couple of late Byzantine authors who explain the disappearance of the office of deaconess by reference to ritual impurity. That is to say, they suggest she suggests they, they uh, evince a repugnance for quote-unquote feminine issues. That is to say, they think the fact that women menstruate means it makes them impure for the for the for the for the ritual pure ritual purification purposes. And so she seems to, to put some weight onto this. Uh, other historians, the most notable of which is a guy named Gary Macy, and he's particularly arguing about the West here rather than the East, uh, has made the argument that um, it was the increased clericalization of the church in the high Middle Ages, um, along with um, misogynistic views of women that led to the abandonment of women deacons. And I have to say, I, I don't find the, really either of these theses all that compelling. And I, I, I'll give you my reasoning for this. It's true that the whole modern distinction between blessing and ordination in the modern Catholic rite is not present in the early sources. And it's right not to impose that on the evidence. Um, I think it's also wrong to impose what are at least implicit in most of these critiques, modern notions of equality on them as well. Uh, I, I think most of these people in the early church took the, the, the distinction between the sexes really seriously, and that's one of the things that they uh, that kind of gets into. They're, um, they're thinking about, um, you know, uh, um, what we call holy orders. Uh, and in fact, I, I think the blanket charge of misogyny is, is too crude to stand up. Um, the earliest, um, you know, you have women, uh, for example, in the Middle Ages, like Hildegard von Bingen, uh, who was a, you know, widely consulted, what you call a holy woman. She was an abbess. I mean, she had, you know, authority in her own right as this, but she was a mystic and a visionary. And she went up and down uh, the Rhine River area during her lifetime in Germany. It's the 12th century, uh, giving, I don't know what you'd, what you'd have to, giving sermons, if you like, in cathedrals. During her lifetime, with the approval of her bishop, um, again, this is a, a rarity and it's a it's a, an exception. But the idea that you know misogyny explains everything it, it explains too much, I think. Um, and in fact, the the idea that there was a cover up again, there's just not enough evidence for this. Uh, it reeks too much of uh, a sort of conspiracy theory for my 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 uh, my uh, my for my take on this. The charge of clericalism is also very problematic for a lot of reasons. The, the reforms of the, 11th, of the 11th century that uh, Gary Macy refers to were not really primarily aimed at women. Um, and, you know, and essentially this thesis, and I'm, I'm dumbing it down, I didn't get a chance to read uh, all of his, uh, his work on this, but basically saying that it's just a power play on the part of the male clergy is, is really lazy in my, in my view. There are other reasons that, you know, for example, he, he mentions, you know, an increased focus on the Eucharist, which he says is just a, a ploy for the clergy to increase their power over the laity. I'm like, I, I get that that probably, that probably played into things, but to say that's the only motive is really, really just too strong. And, um, you know, the clergy were asserting their, by the way, their, <laughs> their authority over the laity. 
They also had the help of the laity. I mean, the reform movements of the 11th century were actually, you know, partly uh, done with the help of the laity in certain regards. So I think it's it's too crude. It's too crude of a thesis uh, to stand up to um, to scrutiny in my in my view. And then finally, we'll come to the to the final uh, the final egg on this. The final. Um, Question having described, giving that brief, brief um, overview of uh, women deaconesses and how they disappear, why they disappear. You know, should the church ordain deaconesses? Now, it, it, it goes, um, I need to bring two things together I mentioned already. One is that I remember the church restored the permanent diaconate for deacons only in the 1960s. This hadn't really been an option for anybody. Uh, for the 11th century, basically, in the West. At the same time, Paul VI, Pope Paul VI in the 1960s basically abolished minor orders. And so, basically, they still exist um, in the East today. You basically have just major orders, essentially, in uh, the modern Western Church. This may be one of the problems here, if you want to see it as a problem at all. Um, quite frankly, uh, you know, I don't really, I don't really find very compelling the theological reasons for resurrecting the office of deaconess. Uh, the functions they could perform, uh, can be performed by laymen or by women religious, uh, without much being lost in my estimation. <laughs> and, um... It makes me wonder if there can be compelling theological reasons offered for this. And this is actually my big concern about this. I don't think, actually, most of the most of the reasoning behind this actually is theological. I think it's social. I think this is motivated by, um, I'm sure, well-intentioned egalitarian impulses on the part of um, reformers. If you want to know names, by the way, Phyllis Sagano is one of the big proponents of this. You, you can know where to find these names. They're pretty. They're pretty much out there arguing for this stuff. And um, especially since the church has already declared, pretty much several times, Pope Francis, Pope John Paul II, women I mean, can't be ordained to holy orders. What would be the purpose of cre creating an office which sounds like? Uh, the diaconate, which is part of holy orders, that is the, I should have mentioned that earlier, but that, that is part of Roman Catholic theology today, but creating one just for women, which is sounds like it, but is actually not part of holy orders, that sounds very confusing to me, and it sounds like you're mixing things together that shouldn't be mixed. Um, having said all that, uh, I think perhaps, perhaps, if you wanted to resurrect minor orders, if you wanted to resurrect you know, acolytes and lectors and stuff like this, and then resurrect um, uh, the office of deaconess along with it, I, I think that would not be in any way uh, problematic. But again, the same problem with that applies to reviving the office of deaconess. What exactly is the theological reason for this? What does the church's, you know, mission to bring salvation to people gain by this? And so... You know, I think um, I think the thing that um, people don't really understand about the church is that it has these very particular um, beliefs about the priesthood, about holy orders, and why, we, why that's so important. <clears throat> and one of the reasons is that 
the reason why only men can basically be priests and part of the priesthood and perform sacramental function is that this is a consequence of Christian revelation. And that idea basically is that, um, you know, a definitive revelation was given 2,000 years ago uh, in historical time, but uh, it's a revelation of an unchanging belief and doctrine, which was revealed in the person of, of Christ, who, again, God made man, who came to earth as what? A man. And so to perform those functions, to partake of that, you know, to partake of that during the liturgy, you have to sort of act in persona Christi. You have to perform those functions as he did on earth, as God did on earth when he was, he came, you know, a biological man. And that's the reason why you have that distinction. And I think this, um, this effort to revive, um, the office of deaconess, uh, again, like I said, I wouldn't be totally opposed to it. Um, in the current climate, I think it's a, I think it's a mistake. I think it's a big mistake. It would make things even more confused. It would give people who want to overturn the idea of uh, holy orders as it, is, as it exists, um, I, I think, uh, an opening to do so. And so this teaching about holy orders is not really culturally relative. And it's not really, to my mind, based on any misogynistic ideas about women. I think that's, I think that's a slur, actually. Uh, I think that doesn't do, I think it's unfair to people in the past. It's unfair to people in the present. So, that is the uh, the lecture on deaconesses. I hope you guys have um, enjoyed this. If you have, please like, subscribe to the podcast. I'm on iTunes, Stitcher, um, Google Play, uh, the Google Store, a couple of other uh, platforms. Uh, leave comments uh, on iTunes if you can. Uh, please spread the word about the podcast. And uh, be on the lookout for new podcasts as they drop. I'll be dropping um, new slash old stuff throughout the summer. And I hope you guys have a great day. God bless and take care.